Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. When was the last time that you were in a situation in which you thought, that's not fair? You ever found yourself in a situation like that? It's not fair. It's not fair how I'm being treated. It's not fair what's going on. It's not fair. It is not fair. And life so oftentimes seems generally unfair. It can be unfair to us. And we can think about all of the unfair things in life. Now, no one escapes the unfairness in life. Everybody will experience these things. Everybody will have times when they feel like life is not fair. Based on what I did or what I said or how I'm living, life may not seem fair. And the temptation is to think, well, if I could just change things in this sort of way, then life would begin to be fair or life would be so much better that it would make me forget all of those unfair things in life. And yet Solomon learned the lesson, even if you were to change those things, you would still have problems, troubles in life. And in chapter number four, we see four areas in which life can seem unfair. And the temptation is to think that it would be so much better if we were on the other side. And in some ways, perhaps it might feel a little nicer on the other side. But God gives some real tangible answers that I think will help us no matter where you are in life, facing the unfairness that you might be experiencing. So I want to take a look at these four areas, the first of which is my situation in life. We read the verses here, verse number one. So I return and consider all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of such as were oppressed. So here's one group of people that is oppressed. Somebody is taking advantage of them, somebody is taking something from them, and they are being oppressed. They are being limited in some way. They are having some things taken from them in an unfair kind of way. In the days of Jesus, there were tax collectors that were employed by the Roman Empire. And the empire, of course, would lay out these taxes and they would need people to collect the taxes. And, uh, of course, in the nation of Israel, they would hire some locals to do the taxes for them. So you would have some Jewish people collecting taxes on their fellow Jewish people of the nation. And, of course, they were not liked. You know, they felt like they were being traitors. How dare you side with the Roman Empire when you should be with us? Not only that, many of the tax collectors were corrupt. And so the Roman government would say, this is how much the tax is supposed to be. But the tax collectors had a lot of leeway. If they were supposed to collect $100, they could just arbitrarily say, you know what? For you, I'm going to charge $110. And they would take the $100, give it to the Roman Empire, and keep the extra 10 for themselves. 
And so many of these tax collectors became rich, they became wealthy, they became powerful, they had the backing of the Roman government and the soldiers and the army to be able to support them. Now, nobody liked them. Nobody in the nation liked them, but they had a lot of power. And you could imagine how the people being taxed in this sort of way would feel oppressed. Financially, they are oppressed. They are underneath the Roman government. And th there are so many different situations in which it seems like, you know what, these people are being oppressed. But there's another phrase here that even deepens the problem. It says, and behold the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. They had nobody that would take their side and come alongside of them and comfort them. They didn't have anybody. On the other side is the group that were doing the oppressing, right? These are the not, not the ones having things taken from them. These are the ones taking things from other people, right? In verse number uh, one, and on the side of the oppressors, there was power. So on the one side is those that are oppressed. Life is unfair because of these oppressors. And wouldn't it be nice if we could escape out of this situation and be on this side instead, instead of being oppressed and having things taken from me, maybe it would be nicer to have to be on the other side and be able to take things from others and to be able to receive. It might be tempting for some to think, you know what, I don't, I don't like this situation. I'm going over there. But Solomon includes a phrase at the end of the verse that you might not expect. It says on the side of the oppressed, they had no comforter. And on the side of the oppressors, there was power, but they had no comforter. Well, that sounds strange. Why would oppressors need comfort, right? If you're being oppressed, you need comfort. Why does the, comfort, or why does the oppressor need comfort? Because you might think, hey, that person has power. And far be it from me to feel bad for people who have power, right? Does anybody feel bad for rich people and powerful people? And oh, I feel so bad for those people that have millions of dollars and billions of dollars and political connections and all sorts of abilities to just decide things and have things how they might be. Uh, we might all think, you know what, far be it from us to feel bad for them. And surely on the list of people we should feel bad for, those kinds of people are probably at the bottom, right? But do rich people live free from problems? Do powerful people live free from problems? Ever seen pictures of the president from before he was president and then after he was president? You ever see those pictures? You know, they come into the office, they look so strong and charismatic and energetic. Wow, if I'm going to follow somebody, man, he looks like the guy. And then you see the picture after four years in office, their hair is all gray, they got all these wrinkles, and you know, and you're like, you know what? Far be it from any of us to feel bad for the president, right? I mean, is there a more powerful person on the planet than the president? I mean, we, none of us, I think, would ever feel bad for the president. But would any of you want to trade your problems for his problems? Okay, I know nobody is worried about it, but you don't ever have to worry about me ever running for president. I don't want those kinds of problems, and neither do you. 
None of us looks at the, the office of president and goes, yeah, that is worth it. We would all be like, ah, that's, somebody else could do that. <laughs> somebody else could take that role. Somebody else can deal with all of those problems. Because if we say, you look at the president, we say, well, you chose to run for office. Yes, you have all of the you know, power and privileges of the president, but you're the president. Whatever problems are there, just deal with it. That's why you're the president, right? We don't feel bad for the president. Which just goes to show everybody has problems. Everybody has problems. I mean, even in this room, think about, look across the room and see all sorts of different people. You have teenagers, young adults, you know, people who are married, people who have kids, people, you know, raising kids, people where kids are grown up. And, and uh, you know, everybody's got all sorts of different situations. Everybody lives in different places, different status, you know, all of these different things. Are any of you free from problems? Do you think anybody else here is free from problems? Do you think anybody in the world is free from problems? Job said, yet man is born into trouble. Living life on earth means having problems. That's why he says in verse number two, wherefore I praise the dead which are already dead more than the living which are yet alive. It's kind of a strange phrase, but you know what he's saying? At least those people don't have to deal with problems anymore. All the problems in life that you might have to think about, financial problems, relationship problems, family problems, your job problems, your friend problems, your home problems, all of those problems, they're gone. And he, he said, I praise them because they don't have to deal with any of these things. Verse number three, yea, better is he than both they which hath not yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. You know what he's saying? Even better than those people who have experienced all the troubles in life and those troubles are over for them, even better are those that are not yet born who don't even know anything about troubles because life is full of troubles. And the lesson here is that every one of us can look at life and look at our situation and think, this is not fair. I'm experiencing some unfairness in life. And if I could just switch with somebody else, if I could just be that person, then all of my problems would be solved. But that's simply not true. Changing your situation won't eliminate troubles. You'll simply be exchanging your old problems for new ones, and often bigger ones. So instead of thinking about, oh, you know what, if I could just be like that person or switch places with that person over there, well, what should we think, be thinking about and where should we go? Well, instead of thinking that changing my situation in life will just fix everything, you know what? oppressed people and oppressors, powerless people and powerful people both need? We saw it in verse number one. What do they need? They need a comforter. And the Bible says that if you are saved, you have a comforter. The great comforter, whose name is the Holy Ghost. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Isn't that interesting that God names himself comforter? 
He gives himself the name of comforter. You know why? Because he knows what we need. You know what we all need? Comfort. Because all of us have problems. All of us have trouble. All of us have difficulties. And God said, you know what? I know what people need. What they need is a comforter. And I'm going to send the Holy Ghost so that they might have comfort. And the way that you gain access to this comforter is by salvation. You must be saved. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, and within you is a comforter that is there through every trouble of the day, through every problem in life that you must face, that you might face. So if there's somebody here that is not saved, you should be saved today. You should be saved. You should trust in Christ as your Savior, confessing your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord so that you might be saved and also receive the Holy Spirit. Also, when it comes to the troubles of life and comfort, that is why we have a church. That is why we gather together. That is why God designed us as believers to be joined together with the body. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You know what Paul is saying here? What he's saying is, all right, I've been going through so many troubles in life, and God has been there for me, giving me comfort. One of the reasons why he gives me comfort is so that when other people go through the same trouble, you know what I'm able to do? I can be able to give them the same comfort that God has given to me. That when I went through trouble, I went to the Lord and said, God, here's my situation. Here's my trouble. Here's my problem. And I'm going to lay all my burdens upon you. God, I'm, I'm just trusting that you'll take care of things. Wh whether you want me to make a decision, whether you want me to do something, whether you want me to just wait upon the Lord. God, I'm putting things in your hand so that this may be dealt with. And the same comfort that I received, I want to give to you. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation." What God is saying here is he's saying the greater the trouble, the greater the suffering, the greater the comfort and consolation. And that greatness of comfort and consolation is able to be given to others as they face their troubles. I know in life, there's going to be troubles. One day we're going to be free from troubles. If you're saved, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, we're going to the land, as the Bible says, where God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. The troubles of life will one day be over. And if you're saved, one day you will be in heaven. But until that day, God says, you know what? I know life is full of trouble. Life is full of problems. You know what I'm giving to you? I'm giving to you a comforter. You know, in life, it's tempting to think, you know what, if I could just go somewhere else, be this and change all of these things, you know what God wants us to first do? Go to the comforter. When you see your problems in life, go to the Lord. Say, God, I need some comfort here. 
I'm in trouble. I've got problems. But God, I know that you've given to me the Holy Spirit to give me comfort. The second area is my success in life, or we might say my lack of success in life. Verse number four, he considered all travail and every right work that for this man, for this a man is envied of his neighbor. So here is a man who has obviously worked hard and been successful. I think we ought to strive to be hard workers. I think every believer should work hard, make use of the time that they have, the energy, their intellect. We all ought to be hard workers. And so here he speaks about a man who is a hard worker. But he says also, and every right work. There are some that are just as hardworking as other people, and yet they don't find as much success in life, right? Because some people just happen to be in the right industry, they happen to pick the right company, or happen to be put in the right position. Sometimes people, you know, are able to figure out the right, you know, move forward with starting a business, all of these sorts of things. And, and uh, some people might work just as hard and not be quite as successful. When I was growing up, we had a guest preacher come to our church, and he was preaching these revival services, and he, he told the story about, he was a pastor uh, in another state, and he told this story about how his church was looking to buy a church property. So they, I think they already had a property, but they were growing. They wanted to buy a newer property, a bigger property. And uh, so as they were raising money and looking for different properties, two different properties came up for sale uh, that they were considering. And so there were these two different properties. One had lots of sand on it, and one had lots of clay. And so as they were considering these two properties, they were thinking, you know what? The Bible says, well, don't build your house upon the sand. And uh, this property has a lot of sand. I mean, you know, the Bible doesn't speak well of the sand. And, you know, uh, maybe we should, you know, and, but the Bible also says good things about the clay, right? We ought to be like clay. God is the potter and we ought to be moldable. And so he thought, you know what? I think there's some great spiritual application here. And so they bought the property with the clay. It just so happens that another church bought the other property with the sand. And you know what they did? they sold the sand and paid off for all of their building. And they were like, oh no, what did we do? And so they said, well, we got a lot of clay. People need clay, right? You know, pottery and stuff, you know? And so they had somebody come over and say, you know, could we, is this clay we're selling? And the guy said, this is the worst clay I've ever seen in my life, you know? And they're like, ah, oh, we raised all this money. We put all this work in. This other church put in all of this money and uh, they got to pay off everything for free. And we, you know, we just happened to choose the wrong thing. Doesn't that seem unfair? I mean, you know, ah, oh, we could have had what they had, but we just happened to, we didn't know. We, we happened to choose the wrong thing. Sometimes that happens in life. Verse number five, the fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. Here's a man that is lazy, not working. And sometimes you might look at the person who's able to just enjoy life in a way and just sit around all day and not have to do anything. Doesn't that sound nice? Wouldn't it be nice to be like, you know what? I can just be done with work and I don't have to work again. Oh, that sounds nice. But you know what he says? And eateth his own flesh. You know what happens when you you know, you just sit there and you don't work and really you don't eat. You know what happens? You begin to consume yourself. On the inside, things go wrong. Oftentimes, the exterior can look great while the interior is rotting. 
you know, we live here in, in Los Angeles, in the LA area, and we live in the land of sunshine and palm trees, right? It's a wonderful place. I love this place. And I remember when I moved here, I was thinking, this is awesome, you know? I mean, it's sunny every day, it's never too cold, it's never too hot, and you know, we can go to the beach, and I enjoy taking my kids to the beach in the middle of the week, and there's like nobody there, and it's nice and warm, and not many people, we enjoyed all of those things, and so many great foods, and all these different places to see, and, and things like that. What a, what a perfect area. It's the land of sunshine and palm trees, and later I found out, termites. I didn't know that termites were in this area. I didn't know that. And I came through and, you know, and then, you know, you see these circus tent looking things over houses, you know, you know, yellow and blue, you know, what is that thing? And I asked them, what, <laughs> what is that thing? Oh, they're fumigating or whatever they call it for termites. I was like, termites, really? Yeah, there are termites in this area. Oh, <laughs> Termites are bad. Termites are really bad. And termites are a very particular kind of bad because they eat from the inside out. The house on the outside might look fine. Even the walls on the inside might look fine. But if you have termites in your house, that house is not going to last. Even if it looks fine on the outside. And just to be honest, sometimes success comes with termites. It's not always the dreamland that everybody thinks that it is. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse number 6 says, Better is a handful with quietness than both hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. You know what Solomon is saying? He's saying, you know what? Success sometimes comes at a price. And sometimes success is not worth that price. Oh, sometimes people get so successful and build big businesses and make a lot of money and everything seems so great. And you might look at them on social media, see them being praised in the press and see their business to grow and everything looks so great. And yet on the inside, if you were to really see their heart, they're like, what, am, you know, every day they just feel like they're being driven into the ground. Their family is in shambles and they don't really know their spouse that well. Their kids are growing up being raised by other people. People and, and all sorts of problems can appear much later in life. Meanwhile, on the, on the surface, at the beginning, everything looks so great. Everything looks so wonderful. You know, here in the area, I, I know, I, we're, we're all just trying to keep up, and we look at somebody with a nice house, a nice car, and able to take nice vacations and think, oh, you know, that would be so great. But you know what? Sometimes it's better to have little with quietness. Instead of having both hands full, but also travail and vexation of spirit. You know what? Sometimes less is more. Sometimes that person who has more that you think, wow, if I could just have their life, you would enter into their life and you're like, what? I, I, can I go back? I can't handle the amount of stress, the pressure, the financial uh, 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 burdens that I'm bearing. You know what? It, it, it's better for me just to have a little less. I know when you drive around, you always think, oh man, it'd be nicer to have a bigger house, you know, maybe a bigger yard. You know, we all think these things. You know, you can't help but live, the, uh, you know, think these things. You know, I just came back from New Jersey and, uh, you know, my in-laws and that's my wife's side of the family, they live uh, in the suburbs, you know, kind of away from like New York City, you know, and uh, 
the properties there are big. You know, they have a big backyard and they have a huge house and, you know, they got a trampoline in the backyard and, you know, I'm, I'm here in this area and you know, I feel bad for my kids because, you know, they're cooped up in the apartment all day and then when we get out, they just feel like, you know, they're little puppies just wanting, and they just run around in the yard, you know, because oh, I'm free, you know, and I, I feel like, ah, oh, you know, it'd be nice to have a yard just anytime. We could just let them out, just play in the backyard and, and just go have fun and it'd be nice if we could have this and that and but sometimes having all of this and that is not worth what it would take in order to get it you might have to sacrifice that precious relationship and how wonderful your relationship with your spouse you might have to sacrifice some of that to get some of those things you might have to sacrifice some of your freedom you might have to sacrifice you know uh, that that close bond that you have with your kids you have to sacrifice your relationship with the church your relationship with God in order to get those things and and it, it might look so great on the outside but what Solomon is saying is just just be careful sometimes a little less is more sometimes that person with more actually has less than you right now if you have quietness instead of vexation of spirit the third area we see is my share in life Verse number seven, then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother. So here is the man who has no peers and no dependents. He has no brothers, and he has no kids. You know what that means? He doesn't have to share with anyone. Doesn't that sound nice? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to say, you know what, I don't have to share. All the attention from the parents comes to him. All the attention of the grandparents comes to him. All of the gain and the inheritance comes to him. Man, that sounds like the life. Sounds like what we would all want. Because, I mean, we love people, but in a way, we don't like, people don't like sharing. Right? You know, I have two little kids. And uh, when we had one child, she got everything, you know, uh, you know, all the attention, all of the presents, all of the things. Now she has a sibling and now they both have another on the way. And when you gain another sibling, you have to learn how to share, right? We use the word share with our oldest before, you know, there was a, 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 we had our second child. But it, it isn't until the second comes along that you really learn, oh, I really do have to share because if my little child gets a little doll or something you know we tell her to share but who's she going to share it with me i'm not going to play with it you know my wife she's not going to play with it so but she has to learn how to share and if you have two kids or more kids if you give one child something you better be ready because the other child is going to say where's mine <laughs> how come i don't get one she needs to share with me now here is the man who has no brothers and has no children. Seemingly, life is perfect because he doesn't have to share anything. Doesn't that sound great? But not having to share things is not as perfect as it sounds. Because Solomon delves a little bit more deeply into this and he says, you know what, here's, here's some things that the person who doesn't have to share that he lacks. He lacks, first of all, gratification. 
Yet there is no end of all his labor, neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Here is the man who doesn't have to share with anybody, has no brothers to share the inheritance, no kids that he has to share any of his possessions with. Doesn't that sound great? And yet here is this man who is not satisfied with what he has. He still needs more, needs to build more, have greater. And it sounds nice that, you know, we, we would not need to share, but those things often don't satisfy. How many of us have witnessed a child getting a toy and play with it for like five minutes and then they're bored of it? You ever seen that? You know, Christmas morning, they get a toy and they open it up and they're smiles and joy and they tear it open and they want to play with it. And then five minutes later, the kid's off doing something else and the toy's left in the corner, right? We've seen that before right? They get bored, they move on, only to return when another child picks it up, right? They never play with the toy, but then suddenly when some other kid picks it up, that's my toy! I want my toy! I want, that's, I'm going to play with that toy. And they play with the toy until the other kid goes off and does something else, and then they get bored of it, and they put it out and do something else with it. Now, it's funny, but the child is experiencing this thing where it's not fun to play with the toy, but neither is it fun to share the toy. He's not having fun when he has it. He's not having fun when he shares it. They're not satisfied with it, and yet they don't want to share it. There's no pleasure in not sharing. Neither is there pleasure in sharing. Now, how miserable is that? How miserable is it for the man, though he seemingly has everything and yet is not satisfied with what he has? You know, you and I as human beings, we can get trapped in that too. Oh, if I could just get this, you know, uh, kind of a car, I'd be so happy. And then you get that kind of a car and then guess what happens? You look around and see all the other people with nicer cars and bigger cars and newer cars. And you think, suddenly you're not satisfied with what you have anymore. And you look at other people with all of these other things. And, you know, here's what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 13. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. Sometimes giving away things is how you get more. And sometimes holding on to things is the way to get less. And that's what Solomon is saying. Sharing is a good thing. Because even if you don't have to share, those people often lack gratification. They also lack good. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches, neither, neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity, yea, it is a sore travail. It's a good thing to give. It's a good thing to share. It's a good thing not just to think about the things that I get, how can I hold on to it, use it for myself, but also to think about how can I share with others. And also he lacks gain when he doesn't have to share. Because if you don't have to share, it sounds like you would end up with more. But it's simply not true because you end up with less when you don't have to share. It's kind of a strange paradox, right? My greatest joy in life, be, besides salvation, is my marriage. 
And in marriage, you have to share. You have to share your money. You have to share your plans. You have to share your time. You can't just do whatever you want. You can't just go however you want. And now that I have kids, I have to share even more with my kids. I have to share my money with my kids. You know, our vacations mostly revolve around where the kids can go. I mentioned that my, the rest of my family, my wife and my kids, they're still in New Jersey. And uh, so I've been, uh, you know, kind of a bachelor for the last couple of days. I'll be a bachelor for the next couple of days. And, you know, so, sometimes people think, wow, you know, enjoy it, you know. And, you know, in a way, it's nice that I don't have to come home and pick up toys and, you know, deal with some of the things that you have to deal with with kids. But just to be honest, I'd rather have my family here. I'd rather share that time with them. I'd rather share meals with them. And rather than losing out, I've really gained so much more. And it is in the sharing in which you are the one that gains. Solomon lists four gains from sharing. Verse number nine, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. He's saying two, though you have to share, is better than one because you have a good reward for your labor. Have you ever tried to move a couch by yourself? It's like impossible, right? You could slide it from this side of the room to that side of the room, but have you ever tried to get it from the delivery truck into your living room by yourself? It's like impossible, like you can't do it. Have you ever tried to take it from the, the first floor to the second floor? Have you ever tried to do these things? Like you can't do it by yourself. You really need to wait for somebody else to come and help you move these things. And, and uh, if you have one friend, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good help. If you have a couple of friends, it's, it's like easy. It's not a big problem at all. Some things really are not even possible when you're by yourself. And that's what Solomon is saying. You limit yourself when you only think about yourself. But when you share with others, you have a good reward. Secondly, you lack stability. If you don't have to share, if you don't have to be with others. Verse number 10, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. See, life is full of ebbs and flows and ups and downs, right? Think about your life. I'm sure if you thought back on your life, there are some wonderful days and some tough, tough days too, right? Some days that you're like, boy, I, I hope I never, you know, hit some of those lows again. And you think back and think, boy, if I could just, you know, live those days again, the good old days, you know? Oh, man, that would be so great. That would be wonderful. You think back upon all of the different things that you had in life, especially the low times. It is in the low times that sharing is good that you share with others because when you have somebody there, they help you and it helps even out the low times in life. Think about the days when you were sick. You know, I, you know I'm married now and you know, when I was sick, it was great. My wife was able to help me and pick up some of the load that, that I, I, you know, I wasn't really able to do as much. And then, you know, now my wife, she's not feeling so well. So I'm able to pick up the load for her and be able to support her and be able to be there for her and, and take up some of the load. It helps to even out some of the things that you might experience in life and not just on a short-term basis, on a long-term basis as well. 
you know, more and more people, they talk about not having kids. You know, I don't want kids. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't want to change diapers. I don't want to have to, you know, spend my money and take my kids to places that I don't enjoy and go on vacations and all of that and worry about all of these things. You know, there's a lot of people that think that way. You know, some people that can't have kids or, you know, th there's all sorts of different circumstances. But I've heard, you know, some famous people say, you know, aren't you going to have, you know, people talk to them and they share the story about, you know, people would ask them, you know, do you want to have kids? And I was like, no, I don't want kids. I don't want to have kids. Are you crazy? I mean, look at all the things that you have to do, you know? But if you think about life in general, yeah, when kids are born, yeah, there's a heavy burden that's there. You've got to take care of them. You have to protect them. You have to provide for them. And then they grow up and they become independent. And guess what? Later in life, you're the one that needs them. And God has designed it so that we need to have other people in our lives, not just in your family, but in a large part for a church as well. Having those relationships helps even out some of those things. Thirdly, you also lack synergy. Verse number 11, again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? Now, this sounds a little bit strange, but back in the days of Solomon, they didn't have central heating in their homes, okay? You couldn't just turn the thermostat and boom, heat was there, right? If it was cold, it was cold. There's no heaters in your house. You might light a fire outside or whatever, you know, and later they had fireplaces, but you know, where else are you going to get heat? And uh, I remember when I had my first child and, you know, my first child, you know, it's special, you know, you hold this little child and hold the child. And, you know, one of the special times is when the, your, your child falls asleep in your arms, you know, you, you hold them this way or, you know, you hold this way. And I, I remember, you know, I would try to put, you know, my child to sleep, you know, I'd be on the couch, you know, just kind of, you know, kind of laying back a little. So, you know, she would sleep there. And uh, I remember, you know, she fell asleep and that felt good. You know, that felt really good. You know, my child is falling asleep, you know, you know, aren't I a great dad? You know, and, you know, that's what I'm thinking, you know, yeah, this is awesome, you know, and, and so I'm experiencing this. And then, you know, it's after a little bit of time, you know, uh, you know, when babies sleep, even when babies don't sleep, they, they, they produce a lot of heat. And I'm sweating, you know, and I'm like starting to sweat. My shirt is getting drenched, you know, things like this. And I'm like, I got to get this. I got to put this baby down, you know, I'm going to get dehydrated just, you know, sitting here holding this baby, you know, you know, you put the baby down and, you know, things like that. And, you know, that's, that's what they do. You know, you and I and everybody, we all produce body heat just by simply existing. And, you know, we now have central heating. We have all these different technologies. But, you know, the days of Solomon, two people alone by themselves would not nearly be as warm as if they were together. You know, you see this in the animal kingdom, too. When it gets really cold, you know, the penguins in Antarctica or whatever, you know, they huddle around to keep the heat and, and uh, hold the heat in. And even though they're not really doing anything more, they're just standing there. But by standing together, they mutually benefit. That's the power of synergy. The synergy is that we don't have to do any more to gain a greater benefit. You know, our church is a great example of uh, some of the benefits that can come. You know, and our, our church has been a unique church from the very beginning. You know, Pastor Choi started the church, started as a Korean church, you know, for people who spoke Korean, and that's how the church started, and uh, I won't go through the whole history, but, you know, then we had an English ministry, so you had a Korean service and an English service, and then uh, somebody came along and, and started a Spanish service and, and all of these different things, and, you know, in the English ministry, we just do what we do in the English ministry, and the Korean ministry does what they do in the Korean ministry, and the Spanish ministry, they do, and, and when everything works well, there's a greater synergy 
a greater profit even though each individual doesn't necessarily have to do any more. You know, one of the things that is in our church is, you know, sometimes we'll have families where one you know, spouse will primarily speak one language and another will speak another. And, you know, we've, we have families where one speaks Korean and the other speaks English and they are able to come to the same church and receive the same ministry and to be able to have the same thing for their kids and be able to come. And, and even though I'm not doing anything more and Pastor Choi is not doing anything more, and yet our church is able to do something greater than us by ourselves. And there's a great advantage to that in the church. Fourthly, we also see that he lacks strength in verse number 12. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Because the strength of a group is amplified when everyone is together. Because if I were to give you a toothpick, every single one of you could break a toothpick. But if I gave you a hundred toothpicks and bound them all together, none of you would be able to break it. But you know what? If you took all 100 toothpicks and pulled them apart, you could break each of them individually and end up breaking all of them. The idea is that in sticking together, sharing with each other, standing together, we gain even more than if we stood by ourselves. And sometimes it's even true that sometimes these relationships that we're not so sure about are really an advantage. In my life, growing up, my biggest rival became one of my biggest supporters. My biggest rival growing up was my older brother. Because growing up, what do you do with brothers? You play sports together, and we would play basketball, and we would get all heated. But today, I know that he's there for me, and I'm there for him. We're there for each other. Uh, we didn't like it growing up when we had to share everything. We had to share room for a little while. We had to share things. We had to share all of these different things in life. But now it's wonderful to have had shared so that we are able to reap the benefit later. The fourth situation, the fourth area that Solomon deals with, that you might think, you know what, this is unfair, that I have to share, that, that this is, you know, a situation in life, all of these different things. The fourth area is my start in life, because this is the one area in which you have no control at all, right? You didn't get to choose who your parents were. You didn't get to choose where you were born. You, were, you didn't get to choose any of these things. Verse number 13. Better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. Here is a king that is foolish, but he doesn't have to listen to anybody, right? Doesn't that sound nice? Wouldn't you want to be in a position where you don't have to Nobody can tell you what to do. You're the boss. And you get to tell everybody else what they have to do. Ah, that sounds nice. But the Bible says this king, he was, he was foolish. Not only that, you have to remember, kings are typically born into their position, right? You know how you become a king? You are born to another king, your dad, right? That's how you become king. And it doesn't sound fair that one person is born to a king and another person is born to a peasant, and they didn't get to control that. They didn't earn the position of prince. They were born into it. They just received everything. Here is somebody born to another family. It just so happens that they were born to the king, and they didn't have any of those things. And, and we might think, you know what? It's not fair. You know, I, if I were just born over there, right? It's tempting to think some of these things. But Solomon says there's something more important than where you started. 
Verse number 14. For out of prison he cometh to reign, whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. I considered all the living which walk under the sun with the second child that shall stand up in his stead. There is no end of all the people, even of all that which hath been before them, and they also that come after shall not rejoice in him. In him, Surely this also is vanity and vexation of spirit. You know what's better than being born into privilege? Is gaining wisdom. And anybody can be wise. In fact, it's usually not those born into privilege that are the wisest of all. There's a phrase that I, that I heard. It's, um, I don't know where this phrase exactly came from or you know, how, how exactly it came into being, but the phrase is shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. And uh, I don't know where it came from, but the idea is basically the first generation is born into little and builds up like a great business and makes a lot of money. The second generation lives in that privilege and gets to enjoy it. The third generation squanders the wealth and the fourth generation returns back to where they all started. The father buys, is how some people put it, the father buys, the son builds, the grandchild sells, and his son begs. You know, the idea is basically, be careful what you wish for. Sometimes being born into privilege is not so great. How many children of wealthy, powerful people have we seen? They make the news not because of their good, but because of their bad. Because of the evil that they do. All of the trouble that they get themselves into. And they often get themselves into trouble. You know why? Because they have privilege. Because they have money. Because their parents are successful or powerful or wealthy. And, and they live these lives and you think, ah, how could you possibly, look at where you were born. How could you possibly live that way? You know why they live that way? Because they're foolish. And they thought because I had money, I don't need wisdom. I got money. I don't need wisdom. I have my parents. I don't need wisdom. Look at all the things that I have already. You know what Solomon is saying? Better than being born into privilege is just every day growing in wisdom. Because the wise will gain and the fools will lose. Better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king. Now, if you were born into a great situation, that's wonderful. Use it for good. Don't squander it. Don't waste it. Use it for the Lord. But no matter where you start in life, everyone can be wise. Everyone can read the Bible. Everyone can gain in wisdom. Everybody can grow in that most important area. That's why Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. With all thy getting, get understanding. See, we all have problems in life. We all have troubles. And it might be tempting to think, you know what, if I could just escape my troubles by going over there on the other side. The grass is always greener on the other side. If I could just go over to the other side, it would be so great. But you know what Solomon says? Instead of focusing so much on your problems, you can see your problems, acknowledge your problems, but instead of focusing your, all your attention on your problems, you know what you could do? Focus on wisdom. With all that getting, get wisdom.